you're tuned into Toby Talks, episode 32. From critical care nurse to policy change advocate, Katie Vigos is empowering the image of birth. The one thing I didn't learn in nursing school, and I know a lot of my Toby Talks family who went through nursing school probably didn't know either, was how to be strategic in your nursing career. And I mean, literally, realizing that you don't have to be on one set pathway your whole nursing career. Just like your life evolves, so can your career in nursing. Like, literally, if you want to work on a mother-baby unit and then turn around and work in infection prevention and then turn back around and invent an app for nurses, you can do it. Why not? That is probably one of the biggest topics that my wonderful guest today, Katie, we talked so much about. I mean, she walks us through how she strategically worked from the bedside to home health to travel nursing as her life also evolved. And on top of that, that didn't stop her either. She became one of the biggest policy advocates for changing censorship on social media. I had no idea that that was even an issue. I mean, can you imagine someone telling you the pictures of your birth, something that was so beautiful, so empowering, needs to be censored? Man, get out of here. But my guest today takes us through that whole journey of how you can be such an advocate and be a bedside nurse all in one. I'm already getting excited. Let's go ahead and hop into this conversation. Hey, Toby. I'm so excited to be here. I'm glad we finally were able to connect. I know. I'm doing great. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much, girl. I've been hunting you down for a while, because that's how I know you're busy. <laughs> so that makes me really excited that you're um, taking time out to talk to my audience. So Absolutely. let's go ahead and let's go ahead and hop into this conversation. How did you even start your nursing career? Like, how did you even get into the field of nursing? I really want to know about that. That's a great question. Um, I was always one of those kids who was super curious about um, the human body. I was just naturally um, fascinated with that. And I would rummage through my mom's like old college textbooks about like human growth and development and biology and those kinds of things. Uh, So I, when my um, high school offered a program to become a certified nursing assistant for free, like as a high school student, I jumped on it. I thought, you know what? I know. Isn't that awesome? It was the first year that they'd ever done it. And I, I don't think they even did it very long, but I was like, hell yes, that is amazing. I I mean, I'm just like free education that will, you know, impact empowered me to begin working like right away. So the fall of my senior year of high school, I began that course and throughout um, my senior year of high school, I, you know, did my clinicals and I studied and got certified as a nursing assistant. So I was able to start uh, working before a few months before I graduated from high school, or maybe it was my junior year. It's a blur. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) either way, you got a job smooth out of high school. Either way, that was really important to me to, you know, start working so I could put myself through school. Um, So I finished up high school. I was working as a CNA in a skilled nursing facility, which was, to be honest, like backbreaking 
labor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I will never forget a lot of the nurses there would be like, and they were all so burned out. They're like, are you sure you want to do this? Oh my <laughs> like, God. Are you right. sure you want to go into nursing? And I was just so gung ho and, you know, didn't know anything like most people do, you know, don't when they start. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just too excited about it. And I, what I loved was just interacting with other human beings. Like I just fell in love with so many of my residents that I was, you know, in charge of taking care of. And, you know, it gave me some really good experience right off the bat. That's and then from there, thanks. Uh, from there, I went. I jumped straight into my nursing prerequisites at Brigham Young University, mm-hmm. and I got a job at a SNF down there in Utah, and continued to help put myself through school. I had studied really hard so that I could get an academic scholarship. So um, I had to keep my grades up really, really high, but it paid my tuition through college, which was totally worth it for me. I know that's right. Mm. Oh, yeah. So I feel extremely grateful that, you know, I was able to graduate with no student loans, which is, you know, that's a, yeah, it was a game changer. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it was a religious school. So that's a whole other, you know, element of the conversation of, you know, that the tuition is already heavily subsidized by tithes payers of the church Mm. and so forth. Um, But either way, I'm extremely grateful for that um, educational experience. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like this everywhere else, but in the state of Utah, after a nursing student has completed um, a certain number of their courses in the program, they can sit for their LVN boards. And so once I heard that, I was again, I'm like, hell yes. Like, why would I not do that? I'll get my license. And, you know, get a better job and higher pay and more experience as I go along. So, so this is while after, you're in nursing school? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So our program, I think, is five semesters and some change. It's like a full two and a half year program in addition to two years of prerequisites. So after I finished, I want to say like the third semester of nursing school, I sat for my LVN board. Wow. And became a licensed nurse before I had even technically graduated from nursing school. And I had been working as a a nursing assistant in a burn trauma ICU um, at the University of Utah. And so by some like... ICs don't do this anymore that I know of, but I was able to be like grandfathered in and work as an LVN in that burn trauma ICU while I was in nursing school. Yeah, because I don't know of any ICUs that still lets LVNs in. No, no, it's very rare. Like maybe in like some more rural or smaller communities, but like it's, you know, it's pretty much just, you know, RNs across the board. So the way I saw it was I'm like, this is a really unique opportunity for me to have this experience and actually start taking care of patients as a licensed nurse before I graduate. In a way, like looking back on it, I'm like, they were crazy doing that. Like I didn't know (laughs) anything. Like (laughs) I couldn't push IV meds. I, you know, Mm -hmm. I had to have an RN sign off on all my charting and my care plans and stuff like that. But 
like I said, I was just so passionate about it and gung ho. I was just, mm-hmm. I wanted all the experience that I could get. And so that was actually my first job as a licensed nurse was in the burn trauma intensive care unit. So I got to see, you know, learn all kinds of crazy stuff there. Um, after, and so marriage and my first child happened amidst all of that. Um, I deferred life a semester still happens. nursing school. Life still, life happens. still happens. So I, I only worked in the burn trauma ICU for maybe a year, I think, or so. But anyway, you know, some solid experience. Had a baby, and then I started uh, working as a pediatric home health nurse. Uh, while I was finishing school with an infant because I could do like, you know, shorter visits and shorter shifts. Um, And it was still like pretty decent money, you know, to help Mm -hmm. uh, finish school. And then after I graduated, I had just gravitated toward critical care all throughout nursing school. I was just really fascinated by it. Like it just really tickled my left brain. Like I just love the details and the numbers and the drips and you know, the adrenaline and all of that. And so I had chosen that, you know, for my final um, what preceptorship. And then I got a job at that same small community hospital where I did my preceptorship um, as a per diem nurse in the ICU. So that was only like a 10 bed ICU. And like we were half full of the busy season kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I did my first two years there. Um, and that was a kind of a good way to like ease into critical care nursing sort of, mm-hmm. but a community, a small community hospital is such a different experience because like, especially Way working at night, different. like there's no, there's like one doctor in the hospital or something yeah. crazy like that. You know, there's a hospitalist on call. We're waking them up at night. Like, you know, anesthesia has to come up from the ER kind of thing. So, um, that was interesting. Um, and then as life continues to happen, my husband and I, <laughs> Uh, left the Mormon church and that Mm -hmm. was a huge life transition for us. And we decided we didn't want to raise our family still in Utah. Mm -hmm. And by that time we'd, we'd had a second child and a good friend of mine had done a travel nursing assignment in California. And I was like, really interested in that. I'm like, well, that sounds like something I could do. I heard that they help pay moving expenses, you know, and set us up with a place to Mm -hmm. live. Yeah. So I jumped on that opportunity as a way to help us move out of state. That's smart. Wow. That's smart. It was, well, thanks, Toby. I've been (laughs) very strategic. I've been very, very strategic with the development of my nursing career and just figuring out like, how can I use these opportunities to my advantage, either to gain experience, to make more money, you know, to diversify myself or like, I want it to work for me and my life the best way that I can. That's, you know, been Kind and that's my motto. So smart. And a lot of, I think that's good that you're even sharing that because a lot of nurses don't know that they can strategic, you know, you can use that critical thinking skills, not only in the hospital, but in your life, <laughs> you know, like how can yeah, I make this work for me? You know, throughout your career. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I barely had enough um, experience under my belt to like, I just barely passed the interview to get my travel nursing job. But you, generally they want you to have like two years, I think. Mm-hmm of experience. So I barely passed and it was like the state of California, it takes so long. It's so hard to get your California state license. Uh, It was down to the wire. 
Wow. So here's, here's a tip for listeners. If you submit your um, paperwork by mail or online to apply for your license, it can take as three to six months mm-hmm. to get your license. However, if you drop it off in person yep. in Sacramento, you they will expedite it and you can get it in a matter of weeks. And so that's yes. what I did. I bundled I up. I, I took my... You're so what? smart. I said you're you're so smart. It's the exact same thing too. Like literally step by step, went into the office and did it, and I had it in like four weeks. Like you were so right. Exactly. So I drove with my seven week old infant. I think he was seven weeks old at the time. I drove from Utah to Sacramento just to drop off my application for my license. Honey, and then drove back to Utah. That's real. I flew from Texas. I took. I found a forty dollar flight. I flew from Texas to SFO. You can't beat that. Got me a rental car and drove to Sacramento and did it, girl. Sometimes a hustle. It's all worth it if you're really trying to get a job. It is worth it. Absolutely, it is worth it. You got to figure out how to make the system work for you somehow. Um, so it was down to the wire and I kid you not, my license came in the mail the day before we moved to California. Like I was freaking out. I mean, Oh, oh my gosh. (laughs) So we sold most of our possessions and moved our tiny little family down to Los Angeles. And I went to orientation the next morning after we arrived. And uh, my first travel assignment was at, uh, was with Kaiser here in Los Angeles in an ICU. And I'll be perfectly frank. I hated it. I hated my travel nursing assignment. It was very, I felt it like I was thrown into a snake pit. Mm. It was just, I mean, it was just culture shock on so many levels, first of all. And, you know, just being a a really young family, we had two kids in diapers and we didn't know anybody in this town. We didn't have any other support aside from each other. And then I have this, you know, I barely have enough experience to get by. Mm -hmm. I still needed a lot of support as essentially a new grad nurse, really. And the the environment here in California it can be very competitive oh. and that's more it felt a lot more competitive to me than supportive at first where I was and, and do you feel um, like it's there because was, you left more of like um, a small community town feel and now you're like in a big city where it's more um, fast-paced do you think that's why or yeah what, it's fast-paced everybody's hustling you know, and there was just like this weird kind of friction um, and like competition between like the staff nurses and the travelers. Wow, really? <laughs> it was like, yes. And maybe it was just the hospital that I was at, which I've spoken to a lot of other people about this. And it's kind of like known for that at that hospital. Mm. Um, but it was really tough. Like I didn't know who my friends were. Like I didn't know if I could confide in any particular nurse and if he or she would like report me to management mm-hmm. type of thing. Like it was, it was gnarly. And I've so, heard of stuff like it, that at, at other hospitals too, yeah, like different travelers. Yeah. Luckily for me, I didn't um, experience that because both of the hospitals I went to were like a children's hospital and they were in Texas. So they were kind of very different, but I've heard that a lot about different um different travelers saying their experience, you know, being a travel nurse, they get dumped the most, you know, aggressive patients yeah. and they get the heavier yeah. load than what 
you know, the staff that are full-time on the unit would get. Yes. Yeah. It not, certainly not all traveler assignments are like that, but that mm-hmm. was absolutely my experience. It felt like a hazing almost. Mm, that's annoying. It, just, it yeah, it was so rough, but <laughs> I, a lot, there was also a lot of other travelers there. So like we kind of stuck together and I learned who my friends were and, you know, just made some great connections with other nurses from all over the country. So I don't regret the experience at all. It mm-hmm. just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pay was not as what I thought it was going to be either. Um, you know, like they really sold it on the basis of like covering our housing, which is helpful. But like once that housing was paid for, like the hourly rate was just like really low. Um, so my advice to people listening is to like, to negotiate, like you have to get a contract that works for you. And like these companies have a lot more money to work with than they'll ever tell you. Yeah. So if I had stayed in travel nursing, I would have had to have been a lot more proactive about getting better contracts, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I think especially for new grad nurses who are unfamiliar with the industry, like they will absolutely just pay you the bare minimum. The bare minimum. And then you think, yes. oh, wow, this is great. I'm getting, you know, housing and I'm getting um, some of them yeah. cover like food and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when you really look at it, it's like, oh, I'm getting $15 an hour. Huh. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yep. I didn't think it was yep. going to be. I, you know, so it's I a was shock. getting, it was like $19 an hour is what I was getting paid in Los Angeles. Oh my goodness. In LA. Yeah. For a family of four. So they covered my housing, but I was just like, this is crazy. I mm-hmm. can't. <laughs> It's an experience. Um, so, and you know that they get deals on their housing too. They're not paying full price for at those housing all. units. They're at making all. their own contracts. Exactly. Yeah. And I learned, I did a lot of research when I first started. And I, because I knew that, I was like, I'd rather take the housing allowance. And then I just found me a really like affordable Airbnb. And it was so convenient. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Airbnb. Yeah. I traveled. I did Airbnb. It was literally half of the cost. So I actually got to pocket more from the housing. Um, uh, allocations that they gave and plus what I was giving mm-hmm. hourly. But if I didn't know, if I just took whatever they got, I would have been like, and I've seen some of the places that they put people in when you're a travel nurse and some of them are not really cute. They'll put you in like an area where you're like, I'm sorry, my neighbor got right. murdered last night. Is it okay if I'm here? <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right, yeah. So it's really, really good you do your research and read a lot of reviews. Yeah, yep. You got to do your research and look out for yourself mm-hmm. and advocate for yourself. In any area of nursing, honestly. That's so true. So, so true. So how long did you stay as a travel nurse before you went ahead and um, become more placed in Los Angeles and felt like, okay, I have a home? Yeah. Well, I mean, that as a whole took a lot, took a long time. But Mm -hmm. strictly career speaking, I did, my contract was about four months long, I think. Mm -hmm. And I never felt better than when I walked away from my last shift there. Mm -hmm. Um, I had also gotten on board with a local registry company. So I was doing registry nursing at hospitals all over Los Angeles to kind of like subsidize. You don't know, haven't heard of registry nursing? No, I've never heard of registry nursing. (laughs) Registry nursing is a pretty big thing in Los Angeles and probably other big cities as well. It's like a temp agency for nurses, basically. Oh, okay. So I would give availability. 
Yeah, I would give availability and, you know, they're working the phones and trying to like place me basically. Oh, okay. So I, I mean, it was just such a crazy experience. I mean, just, I never knew where I was going to end up. I'd walk into a completely new hospital, not knowing anybody, you know, and then I'd work all night and I would drive to the office and pick up a check from the registry. Um, which is why I did it. Like if I needed some extra money, then I would just pick up a shift. I get a check the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like the hustle is real and you got to find a, a way to make it worth it. Worth it. Mm-hmm. So that was again, like really good experience and exposure. And um, I was like, registry, you know what? I'm, during registry, you got to work in yeah. different places though, right? It wasn't like just only ICU or only med surge, but like different areas of nursing. I would, I did some med surgeon telemetry. Yeah, they would float me to that. But um, critical care has always been my primary specialty. So, oh man, do I have some stories from those crazy days and nights and doing registry work? Wow. (laughs) Um, So after the first four months of just like a complete immersion into nursing in California, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, I'm not going to mess around with any of these hospitals I don't like. I don't want, you know, I'm just going straight to where I had heard was a really great place to work, which is UCLA. Mm. And I've been there ever since, since 2011. I absolutely love it. I did a year in the medical intensive care unit, and then I transitioned into a critical care float pool, which I've been doing now for seven years. Wow. Seven years? Yeah, seven years. So, so I, I love it. I absolutely love it. That is awesome. And I'm glad that you actually found a home. And it takes, um, it takes some yeah. time. It really does. It takes a lot of experience, a lot of dealing with, you know, not so good hospitals and, you know, seeing that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to work there. I don't want to do all that. So how did you even know UCLA was a good hospital? Was it just from word of mouth or just because you floated there before? Or how did you know that that was a fit for you? I had never floated there, but, uh, of an acquaintance of mine was doing a travel contract there and she we were you know as we're comparing notes of what it's like to be a traveler she isn't like they were just treating her so much better than I was being treated and I was you know already aware of UCLA's reputation you know as just a you know a good organization to work for and I just went with my gut instinct and never looked back like I'm very very happy with that decision that's so good. Um, oh, that's so good. Yeah, it's good. I just, it's, I just, I know so many people there now, and and I still, I have worked all over that hospital. Like the only place I think I haven't set foot in and actually worked a shift is the NICU. I think I have worked everywhere else at one point or another. I even did a shift in labor and delivery once. <laughs> I mean, wow. because they had a mom with um the history of AFib and like I needed to be on standby in case I had to like push any cardiac meds mm-hmm. during delivery. So, I mean, I've just been able. Oh, I haven't worked in the OR either. I haven't done that, but I've done PACU. I mean, ER. You know, just observation units, telemetry, oncology, all the adult ICUs. I'm gonna pick you to take care of the big kids. So that's 
really my passion. Like I really, I know about myself that I am much happier being a per diem nurse with mm-hmm. a lot of flexibility and a lot of variety. And that's just what works for me in my life right now. And that's um, so good. I mean, especially when you take us through the journey of when you first started and like the, you know, the changes in your life of getting married, having kids and, yes. and seeing what yes. works best for you. Um, a lot of people always say like, oh, well, aren't you afraid that you have a permanent job or this and this? And it's like, well, you have to figure out what works best for you in your nursing career. It's not just step in stone one way, like, oh, I have to do the 12 hour shift three times or four times a week. It's not set in stone that you really can evolve in your career and what you want to do that's best for you and your family. And that's exactly what I'm hearing. Yep. That's so awesome. There are so many options out there. And there are plenty of people who get that staff job and feel really just secure and they like that. You know, Mm -hmm. like I know a lot of nurses who are like, no, I like coming to the same place. I know my patient population. I know my support systems. Um, You know, it doesn't require a lot of extra work because the thing is being a per diem nurse is a lot of hustle. Yeah. It just, it's a lot of hustle. I've had a ton of different gigs and jobs. and, And then I got into private nursing here in Los Angeles. And what does um, private nursing um, entail? Like, I've never heard of private nursing. So what does that really you mean? You haven't like? heard of no. private duty nursing? Mm-mm. Um, it's considered like a form of home health, basically. Okay. So it's, you know, basically, I mean, primary, primarily wealthy clientele who, um, you know, can afford to pay for nursing care privately. Like, none of it is through insurance at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's know still that. through um, home health agencies will do this. So let me back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. As much as I love critical care nursing, I burn out so quickly when I do it full time. Mm. And that's what I learned after my first year of doing it full time in Los Angeles after we moved here mm-hmm. was like, I have to have like another specialty like I have to do other things it I burned out really hard and really fast um doing ICU nursing and And you know being a mom and raising a family can you describe what that burnt out felt like for those who don't really understand the concept of being burnt out like man physical mental emotional exhaustion it it was it's almost like a feeling of hopelessness of like this can't be all that there is like i cannot yes. imagine doing this my entire career yeah. and i think that's like an aha moment for a lot of other nurses i've yes. spoke to is that after a certain point it's like kind of that bitter truth is revealed of like, wow, the rest of my career is a long time to spend at the bedside. Yes. Like <laughs> I cannot find myself retiring doing this. And I, that, that hopelessness that you said, I think that was a really good description of how I felt when I was burnt out and I was burnt out in my second year of being a, a yeah. nurse. And I had went from pediatric yeah. specialty to mother baby with a little bit of NICU. And by that year, I was like, I literally, I can actually really envision the day that happened. I had like, it was only in work for like three hours and I got one nurse or one patient who called me 22 times in like yeah. three hours. And I remember coming out of her yeah. room and sliding down 
her door and just sitting on the floor thinking, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> like I am tired, yeah. I have not slept. I'm exhausted. Like you're exhausted. Like even, and I work nights. So even yes. nights, you were like a zombie during the day. You wanted to be awake, but you oh, yeah. there, but not there. So um, yeah. that is yeah. a true feeling of knowing that, you know what, I want to do something else. And I'm glad that you shared that because that burnout feeling is real. But instead of leaving your career field, just figure out what works best for you. You know, I think a lot yeah. of people don't know that. They're yeah. just leaving and going to another field and leaving nursing completely when it's like, wait, I can still do something else. I don't have to do this. Yeah. So for me, per diem nursing has been the solution to that. But it's a trade-off, as I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have the paid time off. I don't have a pension, you know, or like a lot of those benefits on the on the back end. So that's, you know, a different type of stress and hustle that I have to be, you know, very concerned about, mm-hmm. you know, to take care of myself in the future. And that's another, so that's another part element of like what I found to be just like really depressing when um, I really burned out that first time. And I've burned out many times since. It's just an ongoing process of just self-care, mm-hmm. really, it, is the feeling that, like, this industry is not going to take care of me. Yeah. And that's yeah. what depresses wow. me about it more than anything else, is that to be a good nurse, I have to be on my A game. I have to be present physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, in every way, shape, or form. And as soon as I'm not able to do that, at least for bedside nursing, right, yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Then I'm out. And, you know, they don't, it's, I don't get paid, like, leave to recover this or that. I mean, you know, some employers are are different, right? They Mm -hmm. might support their nurses through times of struggle and whatnot. But just generally speaking, it's like, if I can't give it my all, then it's not, then I can't do it. And so, like, if a part of me, if I become injured or this or that, then it's like, wow, then I don't have that career that I can't go work. Yeah. And you're replaceable. You know, like you're replaceable. And you're totally replaceable. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) So we have this entire workforce that is like, you know, people are just getting burned out. And and California is a much better place to work than most states Mm -hmm. in the country because of our ratios and the unions who keep us safe and well-paid and you know people of course have a lot of different opinions about all that but in my experience it's fantastic like I have no plans to practice outside of California anytime soon and I will say (laughs) coming from Texas as a nurse to California it was a culture shock I mean I've never seen I didn't even understand what unions you know like the real intent of how unions really advocate for nurses until I came to California and I was like oh Okay, y'all got mandatory naps. Okay, okay, I see y'all. Exactly. Like, you know, I'm like, wait, like, I have a sixty minute break. Yes, <laughs> really? literally, and where I can like leave campus if I need to, you know, a, like just an hour, air. a full hour to like disconnect and be out of ratio. Mm-hmm. Is, oh my gosh, it's, it's a not game changer. Normal. It's not normal for a human being to work 12 plus hours straight no. without a break, without going to the bathroom, without eating. And no. you would be surprised how often that is a normal world for us. You know? Yeah. Like, and almost like we accept it as part of the culture or like. Mm-hmm. 
we kind of like respect that or it's like this badge of honor in a way that like I can push myself, you know, to the brink of my human capacity. But like that is not sustainable. It's not sustainable for anybody. And when at times when I have reached that brink of my capacity as a human being is when I have made mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it has been in those moments where I've had like these come to Jesus moments of like, I'm pushing myself way too hard. And now patient safety is at stake because I'm doing too much. Exactly. And you know, it's like, we can't normalize that. Like it's dangerous to normalize that. But I think it's a condition that started when we were in nursing school. Um, We're conditioned to, you know, sacrifice our sleep, sacrifice all this to study so hard to pass an exam. So it's like, it's already conditioned in our system as students, you know, to to do all the things that aren't normal (laughs) and accept it as normal. And then we take that same mentality into the nursing field. And it's just, it really, it just, the culture of it needs to change. And I, I promise you, me and you can be on this topic for hours because there's so much. Oh, I know. I know. Girl. But I, I'm very, very passionate about it. Me too. Me too. But I do want to switch the conversation really quick because you have such okay. an amazing experience in different fields of nursing, especially when it um, comes to like, you know, ICU and working at um, home health. But how did Mm-hmm. How did all that stem to the Empowered Birth Project? Like, that is, like, what blew my mind when I found you on um, I, on Instagram. I was like, whoa, shut up. Who is this? And I want to know her. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> so how did, how did that Thank come you. about? Well, that developed just parallel to my career development as a nurse because as I was developing as a nurse, I was having children and Mm -hmm. becoming a mother and then experiencing, you know, what it's like to be a consumer of healthcare. Mm. Right. And having, you know, that, um, being on the other side of the bed. So my first, so empowered birth project was born after shortly after I gave birth to my second child at home. And at that time, you know, we didn't have Instagram. I didn't feel like I had any real support groups for Mm -hmm. people who were kind of questioning the, you know, the medical industrial complex version of birth in America. Mm -hmm. I, with my first, I had an unmedicated hospital birth with my first and while there were no complications and, um, and, and whatnot, like I just felt so uncomfortable and like, didn't really feel heard or very mm. supported. It was just kind of cold and like distant. And so I knew I wanted to birth at home and I just really had to piece together my own, you know, information about it. I had amazing midwives who guided me through the whole thing. So I, I did, I had so much more support. I just envisioned more of an online platform for, mm-hmm. you know, people giving birth to turn to, you know, to learn that other ways of birthing are very possible and can actually be fantastic and wonderful, which was the case uh, with my home birth. Uh, but I didn't actually start it until about four years later um, when I was pregnant with my third child in 2014 and I didn't really know where to start, but I already knew about Instagram and it was super easy to use. So I'm just like, sure. Why not? I'm going to mm-hmm. start an Instagram page and just use it to document, 
um, my plans to have an unassisted home birth, um, which never happened. I had an emergency cesarean <laughs> at 43 weeks, and I've recorded a bunch of other podcasts on that whole uh, experience. But um, I think just because of the uh, my experience with having nothing go as planned and being traumatized from that experience mm-hmm. was actually a lot more relatable <laughs> to the general public Yes, and got a lot more of attention and interest and engagement because I, I basically was processing and healing online. I shared oh, that whole um, process with my, wow. uh, yes, I'm like, this, yes. Very much so. And then I eventually started sharing the stories and experiences of other people, you know, so it became more of a community platform and not just my own personal experience. And then, you know, just sharing information and resources and all the while Instagram is changing, you know, what you could do then we could do videos, you know, and then there were the stories and it's, you know, it's really evolved a lot as a platform. And, uh, you know, the following has just grown um, pretty tremendously. Wow. Then. So that's right. been like more on the side. Like I don't necessarily do that work as a nurse, but that's mm-hmm. the background and expertise that I bring to the table when I'm writing content and when I'm like really, you know, leading this conversation. And I think that's amazing. Like, I don't even know how else even, I'm trying to find other words besides amazing because I tend to say it a lot, but it's freaking amazing because you used your experience (laughs) to now bring conversations socially on platforms that women didn't have before. And, And coming from, you know, my postpartum nurse background, I always thought as a nurse, I felt like I wasn't doing enough at the bedside because I knew like, right when she goes home, who is she going to have, you know? And and the first couple of days and weeks are all about the baby, but do we step back and just talk like, Hey mom, how are you? You know? And that's when the whole conversation of, you know, the postpartum depression kicks in and all these other um, things that women go through. And especially when you talked about things didn't go as planned and that traumatic experience, are women able to deal with that? You know, they're really not like once the baby comes out and it's not the way you planned it, C-section or early delivery, you're thrown right into, okay, breastfeed, this, that, 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 that. Okay. So I know. And it's like, wait, wait. How is she? Are you okay? How are you processing? Yeah. Um, yeah. This is amazing. Empowered Birth Project is amazing. And I, I'm just, I have to applaud you for Thank you. being so vulnerable and transparent to the world during something that's so traumatic and, and hard for you at that time, because you birthed literally a whole nother platform for so many women. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I did. It's like my fourth child, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Not have any more kids. (laughs) Literally, this is your, this is your biggest baby, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big baby for sure. And it's always kind of changing and evolving and, you know, kind of relating it back to my nursing career. um, It's like, I see Empowered Birth Project as something that I want to grow and develop so that I can spend less time at the bedside. Mm. And I wish, it's like, I I can't tell you how many nurses I know who feel this way, who it's just like this feeling of like, I got to have a plan B. Like, I can't just do this. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like I'm more than this. First of all, I don't 
feel like, you know, being at the bedside for 30 years will be fulfilling to all the other things that like I want to do in life. And like, I want to have something else to do, like in times of injury or if I'm burned out or if I just need a break, Um, you know, so Empowered Birth Project has been like my outlet to just, you know, be more than a bedside nurse, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have been able to monetize and, you know, have some really cool opportunities come my way from that. And so, you know, it's, it's been exciting in that way, just to, you know, build something and, and really watch it grow and, and to make a difference in the world. And I love that you just said that, you know, it wasn't just being a bedside nurse. Like you want to be, you have other passions and desires or, you know, things in your life change where new passion desires come through and you don't have to sacrifice. Do I just have to give up my nursing career to do those other things? And especially now in the millennial generation, like almost everybody and their mama got a side hustle and your side hustle is usually something you're really passionate about, you know? And, um, I mean, this is my side hustle, throwing a podcast to help other nurses discover yeah. what else they yeah. like. So yeah. it's it, it's true that you can, you know, not just be a bedside nurse. You can, you're can you a nurse and so many other things. You're a nurse and a mom. You're right. a nurse and a wife. You're a nurse right. and an entrepreneur. Um, and I think that's great. And, and, and from your um, Empowered Birth Project, I knew that there was a, a issue that happened on social media where you actually had to advocate to even have the images and videos um, to continue to have them on Facebook and Instagram. Can you share more about like what happened and how you were able to advocate for more women to share their um, most beautiful moments of delivering on social media without it being blocked? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I feel like one of the most amazing things I've ever done in life. Um, So Facebook and Instagram have always allowed the birth and motherhood community to exist. But, you know, the the realities of those experiences have always been heavily censored. Mm. And, you know, most of that comes down to nudity and the censorship of the human body. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of ongoing advocacy for the ways in which we're able to, you know, show and talk about the human experience as a whole. Um, But birth in particular um, was just heavily censored because it was against the nudity policies. And so while, you know, Instagram and Facebook were like, yes, we love the motherhood community, like, you know, go for it. They're like, but don't, you know, God forbid you see a nip slip or God forbid. And it's just like, it was so hard to share and talk about birth that involves the human body. It's like, we have to be able to see the body to understand birth. And so it's like, I kept running up against a wall (laughs) and um, I became personally acquainted with uh, some folks at Instagram when they selected one of my photos from my page to be featured at an art gallery in Los Angeles for an event that Instagram curated to publicize the launch of their My Story feature. Hmm. So that was back in 2015. Yeah. So that was really cool. Like they just personally selected me. They're mm-hmm. like, we, they were featured, I think like 27 different women, female storytellers on their platform. And then used that, you know, to promote the fact that they are like a storytelling platform and they were launching the, my story feature that they wanted everybody to use. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I became personally acquainted with the director of public policy of Instagram through that event. And we stayed in touch over the next couple of years. 
Um, and I was kind of like a, um, uh, what's the word? A vigilante. Yes, <laughs> come I would on. See, I would see things being taken down or accounts getting shut down, and I'd email my person. Be like, yo, you know, you got to help this person out. And I was just kind of doing it, um, you know, on the fly, just trying to help out my community and whatnot. Come so on, I still, I still do that. I still, I still do that regularly, all the time. But anyway, come t- December 2017, I just decided that I was done playing by the rules. I'm like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Like, it's very, very clear that people want to see and discuss birth and see what it actually looks like. And I passionately, firmly believe that women and birthing people need to see what their bodies are capable mm-hmm. of. There's so much fear and secrecy and just like mystery about this birth experience that it, it's not helping anybody entering yeah. the birth room to have never seen a birth. Yeah to have never seen with their eyes what their bodies are capable of. I think it just contributes to more fear and powerlessness and anxiety. Yes. So I just thought, you know what? I'm done. (laughs) I posted a gorgeous series of a vaginal birth that a midwife friend had sent to me with the mother's permission. And I basically said, you know what? I'm done playing by the rules. Look at this beautiful photo. Isn't it incredible? And overnight, it became the most liked and engaged media I'd ever posted on the internet. Wow. Overnight. So I knew. I'm like, I'm onto something here. Like, now is the time. People are ready for this. They weren't ready for it when I started Empowered Birth Project in 2014. But, you know, this is what happens. This is, to me, this is what it means to be an influencer. Yeah. To influence thought and ideas, you know, and values and and I saw, I witnessed that change throughout the time that I and many others were advocating for more awareness around the birth experience. So that I knew so that now awesome. is the time. And I'm like, I have a connection that I can leverage. And I decided to go for it. So I started a change.org petition. It was one of those things where I woke up at like five in the morning. I couldn't sleep. It was before a shift and I just got on my computer and I wrote out the petition in 30 minutes and then got ready and went to work and published it later that day. I petitioned the director of public policy and I, it just went viral almost immediately. Wow. So I, um, I asked to reclassify uncensored birth imagery as educational content where it belongs, not alongside pornography and graphic violence and vulgarity and all of that stuff that they were just putting birth with. I'm like, it doesn't belong there. That's not what it is. And that's sending the wrong message. And I just was able to lay out a very clear argument, dissecting the double standards about, you know, why birth should be allowed to be viewed. And I said that I would post an uncensored birth photo or video every day until I got a response from Instagram. And I thought, and stuff got taken down, of course, as I expected it to be. But I thought, you know, I don't even care if they shut down my page. If they shut down my page, it's just going to get more publicity and attention for the cause. Mm -hmm. So let's do this. I posted an uncensored birth photo or video every day until I got a response from Instagram. So it actually only took a couple of weeks uh, for. Uh, Nikki, the director of public policy at Instagram, to respond to me and acknowledge the petition and that they were going to review it. 
And about a month, almost exactly a month after I launched the petition, it had already gotten over 23,000 signatures, which wow. I think is pretty significant because it's not like just 23,000 people double tapping a photo and liking it. Like you have yeah. to put your name and your identity. All you have to show up for a petition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, these people are given their email addresses. Like they mean business. I was so grateful. There was just such an overwhelmingly positive response. So one month after I launched the petition, um, I got a call saying that the petition had been successful, that it had caused them to take a new look from different perspectives at a conversation that had been ongoing. Like I said, you know, I'm certainly not the first person to advocate for this change by any stretch of the imagination, Uh, but it basically tipped the scales in favor of the argument, and they decided to change their policies. So that was a really monumental experience in my life, and I couldn't even tell anybody about it for several months because they were frantically working to, you know, prepare their technology and their software to recognize, you know, and distinguish nudity in childbirth versus nudity in other contexts. It's a pretty big deal, honestly, like what the changes that have happened in their recognition technology since this policy change has taken place. Like people think, you know, oh, poof, the policy has changed. Now this is allowed. I mean, there's so much going on behind the scenes, like to get this content, you know, able to stay up. Wow. And it's not perfect by any means. So I sat on that uh, victory for about four months. Um, And then I kind of, I leveraged another connection that I had of a reporter uh, who had reached out to me wanting to do a story on it. And I like really pushed heavily for Facebook and Instagram to allow her basically to have an exclusive to write about the policy change. And then I was able to announce it on Mother's Day of 2018 when yep mother's day weekend 2018 when the article dropped in harper's bazaar and um everything changed girl (laughs) you so amazing you so you need to be in congress (laughs) (laughs) you need to be well that's uh, i don't i don't aspire to Congress, but I would like to influence Congress. <laughs> Honey, please. You are you are the influencer. Yes. Like, you can actually hold that title. You are a boss. You are more beyond the bedside. Like, this is amazing. Like, I'm just so thrilled that I can see. Like, to me, it, it means the world when I see nurses doing things outside of just what people think nurses should do. Like, you got a whole right. policy change. You got you got the top <laughs> social media platforms reorganizing their lives. Girl, come on. Child. Yeah, to get a giant, like, Facebook and Instagram. And the thing is, I, would, I wasn't even thinking about Facebook when I petitioned. I petitioned Instagram. Facebook was a bonus because they own Instagram. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh. we only have one set of policies. So by default, it's effective on both platforms. And I was just, what? I wasn't even thinking that, but I'll take it. Wow. Come on. <laughs> that sounds good to me. That is so And, cool. you know, it's just like two of the most popular and frequently used and accessible social media platforms in the world. So it's really mind-blowing to think of all the people who are now have the ability to witness and understand birth better because of that. 
And imagine the impact for areas that, you know, are um, rural, you know, or, or um, undeserving yeah. communities and populations in different parts of the world that don't understand, like, the different ways of birthing, you know, like, let's take your country in Africa, you know, their birthing in the, in the rural village is going to be completely different from what it's like for a woman in the hospital or here in the U.S. And just seeing, right. like, wow, I get to see birthing differently. Um, and... I mean, look, I might be thinking outside the box here, but I see this being an amazing platform to even help those midwives in other um, small countries and towns who don't really know all these other advanced um, information and knowledge and birthing that, you know, could use your platform to learn more, to, to help their community of women, you know? You know, the, yeah, the implications of how I can use this platform that I've built are pretty endless. You know, I can take a lot of different approaches. As for, you know, different cultural birthing practices, I, the way that I approach that, at least from Empowered Birth Project, is just to share what's out there mm -hmm. and, you know, bring attention, especially, I think, in America, we tend to forget that there are many other ways of doing things that are very valid and important. Yep. And that are, you know, you look at our maternal mortality rates are increasing and mm -hmm. not decreasing like every other um, developed country in the world. So it's yeah. not like we're doing it better. Um, <clears throat> so as for, you know, helping you know, rural communities and this, that, and the other. I just, I just want to present accurate information. Um, I mean, I don't give medical advice mm -hmm. really, or try to tell people that their way of birthing is inferior or superior or should be done this way or that way. It's more of just a very objective conversation of like, this is what's going on out there. Um, and the conversation is very nuanced. There's, it's about so much more than when the, the moment of physical birth, when the baby yeah. comes out of the body. Like the conversation is about what kind of world are we bringing those children into? Yeah. How are we supporting people throughout the parenthood journey? You know, how are we taking care of our environment so that we can all be healthy and, and live? And, you know, let's look at the disparities, the various disparities that are affecting birthing people differently, you know, that are affecting outcomes differently. It's just, it's a never-ending conversation. Never ending. I will never not have something to write about. Right? <laughs> but I love that. I love that you found this passion, you know, throughout your nursing career. This is your passion. This is your calling, you know, and, and it just, it just fits so well. It just fits so well and you know um as much as I've enjoyed literally the whole aspect of your nursing career to where you are now I've really enjoyed this conversation if you shed light on so many things um as we slowly wrap up I really want you to um give some kind of advice you know and the advice is just not going to be just hey keep going you know nurses you're doing great out there really from everything that you've been through from, you know, your various career in nursing, even starting from nursing school to where you are now, and the fact that you've allowed your passion to become your side hustle and, you know, allowing that to be that and not feel like you have to give up mm -hmm. on your nursing career, what advice would you give, you know, nursing students out there who are, you know, probably confused on what they're going to expect <laughs> when they become a nurse, or there's a burnt out nurse out there who, you know, is this close from giving up her nursing degree, but doesn't know what to do. What 
inspiration or encouragement can you give um, that can help people understand that your nursing career is constantly evolving and no matter what chapter you're in, you know, you're going to make it through? You know, there are a number of things I can think of to say. I, first and foremost, would suggest that the intensity of your self-care has to match the intensity of care that you give others. And mm -hmm. it took me a long time to figure that out. Like we were saying before, it's not taught in school, but if mm -mm. you're going to make a career of caregiving, you better make a career of taking care of yourself because no one else is going to do that. And when I say intensity, for me, quite literally, I had, I function best physically and emotionally when I am exercising my physical body to meet the demands of intensive care nursing. Like when I think of, you know, all the physical things I have to do at the bedside of critically ill patients, I have to be physically prepared to show up and do that or I'm going to get hurt. And I've seen a lot of people get hurt. So I lift weights at the gym. I, you know, I do, I, I take care of my body so I can show up and do that work. It has to match that level of intensity. Mm -hmm. And it's tough to do that if someone's already feeling burnt out, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, pumping the iron in the gym. It just has to be very focused and purposeful and intense, mm -hmm. you know, in its, in its meaning so that you can survive the demands of nursing honestly and I would also say you know don't be afraid to try something new that's the beauty of nursing if you're unhappy like life is too short to stay in a job that you hate you've got options there's so many options if you don't like one thing you can move on to the next that's okay that's okay try something new like yeah it's more work to hustle and get out there and try other things but like you know, you don't have to stay in a miserable position. There's so many other things to do. Yay. Well, I'm so, so oh. excited that you've joined me today on Toby Talks. Katie, is there any other last words you got for me and my audience? Yeah, do you, I promised I'd tell you my one nursing joke. You want to hear it? Girl, yes. Shoot. <laughs> um, what do you call an ICU nurse? An intensive cord untangler. <laughs> Katie, who told you that joke? Where did you get that joke? <laughs> From one of my best friends in nursing school, who is actually a labor and delivery nurse, and she's like, "Oh yeah, you're an intensive cord untangler. You didn't know that." And I'm like, "No, I've been an ICU nurse for ten years, and I didn't know that." And now I tell everyone that. <laughs> Shout out to the best jokes given by Katie. <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where she heard it. It's not my joke. I can't take credit for it. But not a day goes by in the ICU that I don't tell my patients that and make them smile. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast episode. There were so many gems dropped. But let's be honest. Who got time to replay, pause, and write down all that information shared? Shoo, I know I don't. But don't worry. I got you. Download Toby Talks app on Google Play for nursing resources, definitions, and so much more that were mentioned on today's episode. Toby Talk app features show notes that timelines the conversation and lets you click directly to the resource or definition. And it even lets you bookmark the gem for later. Listen, we're too busy learning how to save lives or even saving lives as nurses to deal with a replay button. Toby Talk app is your one-stop shop for podcast episodes and show notes. 
For more on Toby Talks, like the blogs and videos, go to my website at www.tobytodge.com. And you know I love to hear from you guys, so feel free to slide into my DMs on IG or Facebook and hit me up through email. That's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Again, that's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Till next time, I'll be talking to you soon.